So today's sermon will look back to the series that I've been doing on the New Covenant and the series of three that I did on that and a link into it. And one of the key promises, if you were here for those, one of the key promises of the New Covenant was that God would write his law on our hearts. would be something we did naturally rather than being something we ha- was enforced from the outside. So one of the questions then that comes out of that is, what then is this law? What is the law that under the new covenant we are under? And my title is Love the New Commandment. So my goal this morning is that each of us would grow in the most important way we possibly could, that is, in loving one another. So a couple of... uh, Passages to start with before I lay out where we're going. There's an interesting story in Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, and this is talking about Jesus, seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. So Jesus quotes that, and then he quotes a verse from Leviticus 19. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So what happens then is that the scribe says to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one, there is no other beside him, and to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's actually quite amazing that he should say that, one of the scribes, and Jesus says... When Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> so um, so this is Jesus' summary then of the old law. Now, there is a problem. And this is um, John 13. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So my question is, what is new? Hang on. Isn't, hasn't Jesus said that that is the, the summary of the old commands? What's new? Can somebody tell me what's new about the new commandment? Just as I have loved you. So what we have now, what's new, is a new revelation of what it actually means to love. A new revelation of what love looks like. And this is a revelation that Jesus brings, a new depth of love. And this is explicitly said in 1 John. And all, from now on, virtually all of my readings are going to be in, in the 1 John, the first letter of John. 1 John 3, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow believers. So if you 
you have no trouble remembering where this verse is because you've heard of John 3.16, haven't you? For God so loved the world. This is 1 John 3.16. Just by, just by, I would say it's a coincidence or providence, I don't know, but it's 1 John 3.16 is this key verse that takes the love of Jesus and says that we actually are to follow that love. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to the three points. The first is the new commandment and our new nature. The second is, if it's our nature, why the need for effort? And the third one, putting love into practice. So, the new commandment and our new nature. Um, I, I once had a story. Um, I was told about a boy who had a, a pet rats. He had three pet rats and he had a pet cat. And um, he loved them all. And he decided that they ought to be able to get along with one another. And he was going to train them to do that. So he made his cat sit and watch the rats run around. And whenever this cat got agitated, he calmed it down. And he was very, very happy and eventually that he trained them. Um, so, uh, eventually he just left the room for a moment. He came back and one of the rats was no more. Uh, why was that? Because it's what a cat is. You just can't change its nature like that. It's core to what it is to be a cat. And, uh, this is, this links us into one of the core teachings on this new covenant love that we have, which is in 1 John chapter 2, and the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3. So you know that he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we should be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, some of these is a bit, um, this is introductory verses, some of them are, verses are a bit obscure, but you can see the idea is being born of God, you're inheriting DNA from him, you're inheriting some of his qualities, and um, one of the key things that he goes on to develop now, in uh, as he continues in chapter 3, is love. By this is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abide, does not love, abides in death. And by the way, that word we should translate brother, brothers and sisters. It's, it's just meaning fellow believers. So what it's saying here is that if you're born of God, you've had the new birth. What that actually means is the life of God is in you. You're one of his children. You actually have God's life in you. You actually have his life, like just as, just as we have Adam's, 
um, DNA in us, you know, from our humanity, there's something about Jesus that we actually have in us, his children, not just through adoption, but actually through birth. Being born from above actually means having the life of God in you. And what he's saying is, because you have actually the life of God in you, you'll behave like your parents, as as we do. And you have that that in you, and that you can live out of. And this is a, a key lesson. Um, what he's he's not saying, you know, if you don't love one another, you're going to die. You you you're in you're in trouble if you don't want to love one another. He's saying, no. The reason that we can tell if somebody is born from above is that they have this love because it's a sign of who they are. And in fact, he says, like in verse 14, it's, it's, it's assurance. We know that we're saved because we can see this new energy in us that we know wasn't there before. There's something in us that is a love that is only from God. And so the key, and I could show you other verses in 1 John, key theme in 1 John is that being born from above, being born again, being born by the Spirit gives you some of the life of God in you, and that life of God will flow out into love for one another. And that is partly an evidence that you have this life, and partly it's just who you are as a person. So I probably nobody's going to disagree with me on this, and I won't continue because I'm probably convinced everybody. And so I'm going to move on to what I think is a, is a bigger problem here. So the new commandment and our new nature. Uh, the new commandment, loving one another, is connected to our new nature, who we are. If it's our nature, why the need for effort? You know, you, you, don't, you don't have to... to to say to a bird, you know, you've got to fly. The bird flies naturally. It's part of its nature. Fishes swim because it's part of their nature. Why should we have to put any effort? And then we're going to look at putting it into practice. Uh, so um, uh, where, when I was growing up, there was a family living next door. And um, we they were a Christian family. We knew them very well. And um, they're, um, we're still in contact with them. The, the father was an Olympic coach. And um, the teenage daughter enjoyed swimming. And in our city, we had a big public swimming pool. And uh, one day, she was swimming at the pool. And uh, there's a man outside the pool said, excuse me, um, could I just talk to you for a moment? And she came up and she said, "Um, I'm Derek Snelling. Um, I'm an Olympic coach for the UK swimming team. Um, I think you could make it to the Olympics. Would you let me train you? Um, it turned out Derek Snelling is legendary. He had six of his students got broke world records. He had countless Olympic medals to his name. Um, he actually moved to Canada to, I think, Alberta, train the Canadian Olympic team as well. Legendary. And somehow, just seeing her splashing around, he'd recognize something. So she was very excited. She joined the team. She got trained. And in fact, she was on the trajectory to represent Britain in the Olympics. But think life took a different turn. Things, different things happened in her, in her living situation. And it ended up she, she couldn't do that. But, um, what, uh, 
this is quite remarkable. The first thing is that he'd got no idea that her dad was an Olympic coach. He just saw that in the way, just in something she'd inherited there. But the second thing I want to draw from that story is she had to do some work, didn't she? It's no good her saying, oh, you know, I've got the DNA, I'm just going to represent the Olympics. No, she had to do a lot of very, very hard training. And it was hard training she had to do. You know, almost every, almost every evening she had to be there, you know, swimming, swimming lengths and so on at the pool. So it was, um, it, um, so my point is the work was involved. And this is why the New Testament constantly emphasizes that we need to choose love. And here's one of my important, one of my most important questions this morning. So what is our part? How do we allow Jesus' love to flow through us? How do we do it? Well, you might say, um, let's look at John 15, where we have the parable of the Vine in the branches. And there's a problem with this. You see, you'll see it as we go through. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So that raises the question, well, okay, Jesus, well, how do we abide in you? If we want to bring forth fruit, we've got to abide. How do we abide in you? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Oh, okay. So by keeping commandments. Uh, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. But hang on. Isn't that, we can't do that unless we're abiding. So where does the love come from? Do you see the problem here? That um, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So we abide in Jesus by keeping his commandments, particularly the commandment to love, but then we can't do that unless we're abiding in him. Do you see the problem? Like it seems like it's it's a catch-22. It seems like it's circular reasoning. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that it's not circular, it's spiral. So what that means, it's something that goes up and up and up. And I'm going to explain it like this. We choose to love others, a choice we make. That draws us closer to Jesus, to the vine, brings us abiding more, which causes his love to flow into us, which makes us love others more. So it's the opposite of a vicious circle. It's a, it's a spiral of climbing, a spiral of growth, but we are not passive in it. We're participating. So in order to love, you need to be abiding. But in order to abide, you need to be following Jesus, particularly by loving. But you have some action, some choice in that because you choose to step into that cycle. And as you choose to do that, you will grow more and more in it. So... Um, that, I mean, this isn't surprising. A lot of things in life are like this. But God has decided that he doesn't want us to be like just completely passive. You know, we lie down uh, uh, in, uh, in on the bed until we get feel enough love and then we can go and love people. But we don't need any effort. 
He doesn't want it to be like that. He wants us to choose. He wants us actually to have to trust him to, to work in faith towards this. And uh, uh, so that's why there are so many times that Jesus urges us to make the choice to love. Make the choice, even though you can't do it by yourself, you make the choice. And as you step out, I will give you the, the, the love. So it's almost like, you know, as you take a step in loving, actually commit yourself to it, the energy flows. But you don't wait until you feel like loving. You actually look for an opportunity. You step out into it. And as you, in faith you do that, then that brings the love of Christ into you. This is really, really important because people get very confused by the command, abide in me, you know, you must abide in my love and so on. They get very confused and um, they can, it can turn into um, trying to do all these things, you know, all these spiritual practices to try and do them. And Jesus is very simple about it. He says, follow my commandments. My main commandment is love. Do this and you will abide in me. Uh, you can see the same spiral in our letter, John 3. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do and do what pleases him. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of the son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. And as we use the love we have, we will receive more because, uh, sorry, that last bit is not the scriptures, that's me. Um, that as we use this love, we... We keep his commandments. We love one another. Then we will receive this. We will receive more of this. So this then, I'm going to argue, is what we have to do in order for this this love to flow in us. So we looked at the the new commandment being part of our nature. This then is the need for effort because Jesus has chosen for it to happen that way. He's chosen for the love to flow from us as we, as we walk in it in obedience to him. I want to talk about putting into practice now. Uh, we learn love by looking at Jesus. We love because he first loved us. This is my number one rule of putting into practice. We learn love by looking at Jesus. So as you read the life of Jesus, that stirs up love in you when you see it flowing out of him. This is what he says when he tells us about the new commandment, as I have loved you. So obviously, as we look at He, how he has loved us, it will stir us up to love. So let me just give you some examples. One of the things we see in Jesus so often is compassion. Even like with his disciples, Mark 6.31, he saw that they were weary and they, from, from all the, everything they'd be doing, it says he had compassion on them and said to them, come away to an uninhabited region and rest. Then a great crowd managed to follow him. And Jesus, even though he is exhausted, we read, he had compassion on them. This is when he fed the 5,000. So 
Jesus is just having compassion on this huge crowd of people in front of him. They're not people he knows, but just a crowd. He has compassion on humanity. A widow whose only son had died in Luke 7.13. We read he had compassion and raised the son from the dead. So I want you to think about that because I would say a lot of Jesus' love came out of compassion. A lot of the love that he had, that he showed to others, flowed out of this compassion. And it's something that we need to stimulate in ourselves, not just for individuals, but even like communities that Jesus had compassion for. And connected with this is a humility in putting this compassion into practice. He even washed his disciples' feet and told us that we should do likewise. I don't think he's saying that we should have a ceremony of washing feet. I know some some groups do. But I think he says we should actually um, behave like that in practice. In other words, we are so concerned about others, we're willing to do things that are... That are um, you know, almost demeaning for us that we don't put ourselves so high that we're not willing to do it. And he says, I've done this to you. You know, I'm your Lord and I've done this to you. You need to do this for one another. Uh, so um, I want to say, I want to take this key idea that love is valuing one another. Love is valuing one another. So this is the second key idea I want you to take. If it's if it's giving compassion, showing compassion, it's valuing. Even on the cross, he spared a moment from saving the world to care for his mother. If anyone could say, don't bother me, I'm doing something important. It was Jesus on the cross, wasn't it? But he saw his mother and he realized that she would be alone. We, we assume that his father had passed on at this point. Um, and he was the oldest child, and he gave the responsibility to John to look after her, uh, valuing her at that point. Finally, he suffered and died for us. So just think of how much value we have to him, how much value you have to him, that he just didn't die for you, go, he needs a few more people to make up the numbers. No, he actually... He's, he's loved you and valued you individually, every one of you. He knows every one of your names. Your names are written on his heart. He knows you and he values you. And so I would suggest to you that core to loving is valuing. And if you want to understand, like you're talking to somebody, you think, well, how do I love this person? Or think, how do I value this person? What do I do if I, if this person, I want to recognize how significant this person is, how valuable they are, how would I show that? What's necessary for that? And I would say that, um, that is so important. It's like fundamental to loving. And the amazing thing is that Jesus seems to think that this love on the cross for that he showed to us is something that we should copy. Copy Because in 1 John 3.16, I'm going to read it again, it's so important. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers.
So I want to suggest to you that it's already in you to love. And if Jesus is in you, this love is already in you. Now, when I was talking about um, the, 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 the law being written on our hearts a couple of weeks ago, I gave the example of streetcar tracks and how... Um, you might be driving along the road and you realize you got stuck in your, your car's got stuck in the streetcar tracks. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Um, but that's a little bit like what it is to live with a sinful heart that you've got this tendency to do, to go a particular way. Well, I want to say that, um, I'm going to use the same illustration for this new nature that's within us. And I want to say that you have the streetcar tracks of love in you but they may be covered over by leaves and mud and all sorts of stuff. And that might be cluttering up your life and stopping you actually living in this love. And what you need to do is to clear this stuff off the way, out the way because it's there in you. Jesus has put that in you, but you need to clear it. And um, the, it's, you don't need to build the tracks. You don't need to build a tendency to love. You don't need to build this inbuilt love. It's there, but sometimes there's an effort required. Well, I would say there's always an effort required. There's always a choice required to clear this stuff off the tracks to allow your nature, your new nature, your core nature to show through. So let's try and be really practical here. And this is my second to last slide now. As we're pulling this together, I'm going to give you some practical suggestions for valuing others. Just five suggestions here. First, give them the gift of really listening to them. Really listening, not just waiting until you can say something that's so wise and wonderful. But I want you to have give them the gift, really hearing them, really feeling that the, somebody has heard them. The second thing is to value their feelings and undo their aloneness. Aloneness is one of the biggest problems humanity has faced since the fall. And we're in a city which is a huge amount of aloneness. And if you can be with somebody and they can feel that you get them, that is tremendous. That is extraordinary because that is the biggest way of valuing them. Here's somebody who's actually taken the time to actually know who I am. And this is what Jesus did. Remember Jesus with the, the, the woman of Samaria. Um, okay, I've skipped on to that. Uh, the woman of Samaria, he actually gave her the gift of spending time with her. Like he didn't do any signs and wonders for her. He didn't heal her or anything. He just spent time sitting down with her, giving attention. So I'm going to say uh, my third one was given the, the gift of trying to understand them. And the fourth one is time and attention are often more valuable than things. Sometimes people need things, but very often our time and our attention is what really values them. That's what signals that they're valued. That's what signals the love. And when you see Jesus in his life, the time and attention he gave to people, um, just they felt so special often because of that. Zacchaeus, you know, he saw Zacchaeus in the tree. He said, come down. I'm going to come for me to eat at your home. 
at times like that that Jesus saw people, he gave them his attention, he gave them his time, and he saw them where they were. And then my last one here is to, I want to suggest that you ask Jesus how you can best show his love to them. And so this is, this is after you've spent time. This is not a substitute for spending time. But as you spend time, just say, Jesus, how can I love this person? What can I do to be your love to this person in this situation? And so this is what, how I would land this practically. And I'm going to give you two challenges and we're going to end. Uh, my two, the two challenges I want you to have is, um, first of all is the one I've just been talking about, the challenge to value others. And the second is to take the risk. And I haven't really talked about this, but it's very important because actually giving is always a risk. Loving is always a risk. And Jesus said, if a seed die, it will bring forth fruit. And there's like a death to self that happens when we really give give something to someone. It's like my own interests are going to die here. I'm going to put your interests first. My own value as a person, I'm going to put down and lift up your value. And that requires faith. It requires a trust. It requires a belief that Jesus, what Jesus says, if you lay your life down, God will raise it up again. And he's not talking about dying on the cross. He's talking about moment by moment throughout our day, just doing things that are sacrificial for others. We lay down our lives for others in our conversations because it's for them. And I want to challenge you. Do you really trust him in this? Because this is what it comes down to. What God wants us to do more than anything else is to simply trust him and this trust fundamentally looks like obeying his commandment and obeying the commandments fundamentally looks like love and so following the path of Jesus in self-denying love is what we are called to do Jesus said follow me if you want to be my disciples follow me he's calling you right now are you going to follow him it's a choice you have to make are you going to do that or actually, it's not like a, a one, a, a yes, no choice. It's like, am I going to follow him more? Am I going to grow in this? And as I grow in this, I have to ask for his strength. But as I ask for his strength, he will give me more. Am I going to choose to live a life which is constantly growing in love? And I want to challenge you in this. And uh, I, I'm going to just, we're going to pray now. But I'm going to give a little space in my prayer for you to ask God to, to, to give you the name of one person who you should be growing in your love to. This is scary, isn't it? <laughs> who is going to be? But I'm going to ask for that. And uh, then let's start practicing it right away in our lives. So let's just uh, let's ask God now, shall we? Lord, we thank you that you so loved us, you sent Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you have promised us your love to flow out through us. Lord, I pray that for each one of us here, right now, you will reveal to us who you want us to love. And Lord, we confess that without you, we can do nothing. Lord, as we step out in love, we pray, Lord, you will come through with the the energy, the strength, and supernatural power to do it in Jesus' name.
Amen.